turn it on. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, looking at 46 through 49. If you've got one of our Bibles, it's on page 956. 956. And while you're turning there, I want to just say thank you so much for uh, all of you that, that sent your prayers and your, your messages to me. If you, if you don't know, uh, this past week was kind of crazy for, for my family. My dad, or actually my mom called Wednesday and told me that my dad was either having a heart attack or a stroke, and they were doing CPR on him and, and uh, working on him. And, uh, and so, of course, we drove up to Ohio, the whole family pulled the kids out of school, and they uh, had to life flight my dad to Toledo Hospital, where they were fortunately able to do a procedure to remove clots who had a stroke. And so they removed five clots out of his uh, main artery to the right side of his brain, and Fortunately, they were able to, to, to save him by doing that. And, and so God's hand has been in this from the very beginning. He's doing much, much better now. Uh, doctors seem very optimistic that he'll, he'll make a, a pretty full recovery. I don't, I don't know what the new normal will be, but uh, he's already planning to go to rehab, I think, either today or tomorrow. And so he's doing well. And we'll um, uh, our, our family's planning on going back up there in a couple weeks to, to see him. And so just thank you so much for your prayers and your concerns and reaching out. And just praise God that, that he is doing well. And so I'm very thankful that I, I was able to come back and feel like that my dad is in good hands and, and be back here today. And so this is a, a huge blessing for me to be in front of you uh, this morning. I, w- I wasn't sure if that was going to happen earlier this week. And so very thankful to be here. And so with that, we're going to dive right back into Luke 6 where we've been And we have been walking through the book of Luke. We're right at the end of what theologians call the Sermon on the Plain. Mirrors the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew 5 through 7. And at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Plain, he really just wraps the whole sermon up. And if you think back through the sermon, he set the tone of the sermon right at the very beginning with the Beatitudes, right? And he he said, look, I want my disciples to live radically different than the rest of the world. I want them specifically to live radically different than the Pharisees. I I want you to rejoice when you're persecuted. Oh my goodness, I just saw a baby back there. Hey, Jesse. (laughs) Everybody wave at Jesse and Tiffany, and and, uh, they've got their baby with them. They're adopting right now, so I I just totally was distracted by that. Sorry. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, So at the beginning, the Beatitudes, be radically different from the world, Okay. When, when people persecute you, I want you to feel blessed. I want you to rejoice because your reward is in heaven. In fact, I want you to have a God-sized love for them. I want you not just to love the people that love you back, but love your enemies. Have a God-sized mercy. Don't be judgmental. Be forgiving. Be generous. Be humble. Last week, we talked about having a God-sized dis- discernment where you, where you look deeper than just behavior and outward appearances, but you look into what's in your heart. Remember, our primary problem is not external, it's internal, it's our own sin. Today he concludes this sermon by, by saying, if you do what I say, if you follow these commands, you're going to have an unshakable foundation. So let's pray that God would help us with that. Father, we are so thankful that you provide a rock for us to stand on. And apart from you, there is no hope. 
And so we plead with you right now that we would fully trust in that rock, that we would fully rely on you so that we can fully obey you. Help us to trust in your promises and help us to live as your children for your glory. Help us to understand this passage. Help me speak truth in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take a look at chapter 6, starting in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built well built. But one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on a ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. See, in verse 46 here, Jesus concludes his sermon by challenging his disciples' loyalty. He says, you call me Lord, Lord, and whenever, you need to know this, whenever you see a name repeated twice in Scripture, that's significant. There's an emotional plea that's going on right there. For example, when David, his son, had tried to betray him, but his son dies, and David, in his grief, he says, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. He repeats it. There's an emotional plea going on there. Jesus on the cross, what does he say? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus in this text is saying, look, You call me Lord and you say that you love me. You say that you've got this emotional attachment to me. Why don't you do what I tell you to do? Listen, those who do what I say, you build your life on an unshakable foundation. And then in verse 47, he says, look, there's three things that you need to do. There's three things that you must do to have a life built on the rock. You need to come to him, you need to hear him, and you need to do what he says which sounds pretty simple. If you're taking notes, that's a pretty good outline for the whole sermon. You need to come to him. You need to hear him. You need to do what he says. And so come to him. People came to Jesus for all sorts of reasons, right? Some of them came to Jesus because they were just curious. They had heard about this guy. They wanted to see him. Uh, they, They wanted to see what he could do. Some of them came because they wanted something from Jesus. They wanted to be fed by him. They wanted to be healed by them. They brought their friends and family to be healed by him. Some of them just wanted to get wisdom. They heard that he was a good teacher. Some of them came because they were invited by others. And some of them came because Jesus had called them to be his follower. And today people come to Jesus for many of the same reasons, right? But the, here's the thing. The reason one comes to Jesus is less important than how one responds to the encounter with Jesus. See, coming to Jesus is not enough. They have to, you have to listen to Jesus. You have to hear him. Today, we encounter and we hear Jesus primarily through the written word. He's not here physically, and so this is the primary means by which we hear Jesus today. Unfortunately, often when we read the Bible, we, we kind of read it like a textbook. 
And often when we come to listen to the word be preached, we, we often listen like we're listening to a flight attendant giving those pre-flight directions on an airplane, right? We, uh, you hear them come over the announcement and they're like, if the cabin loses pressure, then a mask will come down and wah, 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 wah. And you lose it from there because you're already drifting off and you're looking at the magazine in front of you and you know that they're talking about some, some warnings that are probably pretty important, but you, you just think, okay, those things will never happen to me. I'm not going to worry about them. I'm looking at the magazine instead. But the Bible doesn't talk about a hypothetical potential tragedy that if you're unlucky might happen to you. The Bible also is not a textbook. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, we come to Scripture not to learn a subject, but to steep ourselves in a person. You see, the Bible is not simply a self-help book or an instructional manual for life. The Bible is the revelation of Jesus Christ who gives eternal life and God's plan to redeem us to himself. Not only that, Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Last week we talked about this, that the scriptures are like a mirror to your soul. That they, they pierce it and they, they expose what's in your heart. That it penet- the word penetrates and, and tells us what we truly believe, what we truly value, what we truly worship. See, if the Bible is truly the Word of God and not simply a textbook or a, an instructional manual, then we need to listen to it differently. You should read and you should listen to it as if you were reading and listening to the very words of Jesus. And so let me ask you a tough question. How do you prepare to hear the Word of God? Before you come in here on a Sunday morning, how do you prepare your heart and your mind? Christopher Ash, he wrote a really insightful, very small book. It's called Listen Up. It's a practical guide to listening to sermons. And he gives several ingredients for a healthy sermon hearing, like being able to listen to sermons well. And so if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you five of these ingredients. Uh, number one is this. He says, you, you need to come, and when you listen to the word being preached, you should expect God to speak. Okay, and of course, he's not saying that, that the preacher is God. He's not saying that the preacher is always speaking the words of God even. But when the Bible is opened faithfully and the preacher is seeking not to share his own opinions, but what the inspired author intended and God meant to communicate through the inspired author, then we ought to listen to that type of sermon with a seriousness. And it's fine to, to laugh during a sermon. I think we ought to laugh at ourselves. I think God has a sense of humor, but we should never come to God's word flippantly or lightly. And since this doesn't really come naturally to us, we need to pray before we come in here. You need to be in prayer and preparing your heart. I would encourage you throughout the week, read ahead. I mean, we usually walk through books of the Bible, and so you know where we're headed in the Scripture. Throughout the week, be reading ahead and be praying for, for the preacher. Be praying for myself and Scott and whoever's up here preaching. Be, be in prayer for yourself that you would listen and be able to apply this word to your life. Be prepared when you come in here through prayer. Be intentional during the call to worship. Quiet your mind. Quiet your heart. Uh, be, be here early enough that you can be in here so you hear the call to worship. Prepare your heart and your mind. 
Number two, admit that God knows better than you. Okay, so number one, expect God to speak. Number two, admit that God knows better. And I know that sounds obvious, right? Of course, God knows better than me, right? But what he's saying here is, listen, when you hear the word being taught, listen with humility. God's word should, should offend us at times, okay? It should challenge us at times. This is a book that calls us to repentance. It calls us to change. And that's hard because we don't like to change. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. And it's not like we come here as a, like a blank page. We've got all sorts of ideas and beliefs and values that our culture has scribbled on us. But we need to be realistic about understanding that. We need to be watchful for a tendency to evade the challenges of the Bible. And I, I don't think anybody in this room probably would, would speak up and say, you know what, I just don't, I think the Bible's wrong, okay? Most of us in this room, is not, we're not going to do that. But this is what our tendency is, is to find ways to reinterpret the Bible to make it less challenging, for ourselves. And we say things like, okay, that's what they used to believe. They used to take the Bible at face value, but we, we know better now. But we need to read the Bible as if it's God's word. Admit that God knows better than us. Be humble as we take a look at it. To listen with humility means that we admit that the Bible is right and we are wrong at times, that God is God and we need to change. So expect God to speak. Admit that God knows better than you. Number three, check that the preacher says what the passage says. Okay, so I'm encouraging you to be critical of me. Be critical of whoever is preaching up here. Check to make sure what I'm saying is actually in God's word. Don't just accept whatever I say. Compare it to the true authority. I'm not the true authority. The Bible is. Is the main point that the preacher is making the main point of the passage that he's preaching? Or is he's just simply using that passage as a springboard to talk about whatever he wants to talk about? So number three, check that the preacher is saying what the passage is actually saying. Number four, hear the sermon in church. In other words, with the body of believers. The Bible has no category for, for virtual church. And, and if you're listening online right now, I understand that there's times where it's physically impossible to get here. But don't make that a habit. Don't make that the norm of your life. God desires us to assemble, to hear the word preach. Hebrews 10.25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting, neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so being together is how we stir one another up. It, it should be natural for us to talk about God's word and talk about the passage after the sermon. Uh, I know when we sit down for lunch on Sunday afternoon, often we will we'll ask the question to our family, okay, what did you learn today? That it should be natural for us to, to talk about what God is teaching us. It's healthy to listen together so you can respond together. And number five, be there week by week. Consistency is key. We, we tend to treat church at least many people tend to treat church like we treat the doctor or the dentist. We go there when we feel a need, when there's symptoms that have kind of popped up where we feel something's wrong. But a good doctor is going to tell you to get regular physicals because often there's underlying issues. My dad didn't know that he was going to have a stroke until they had it, right? Often there's underlying issues and, and problems that we have, and so we need a steady 
diet. We, we don't need to look at church as a, as a crash diet for God's Word. We need a steady diet that will gradually transform us because what church is, church is not a quick fix. It, it's, a, it's the instrument that God uses to help us mold and shape us into His image. It shapes our character slowly and gradually, and so we need consistency. And so those are great, I, th- I think, just very practical ways that we can help listen to God's Word better. Now, the third point is that, we, we, first of all, we come to Jesus, we hear Jesus, and then thirdly, to have a firm foundation, we need to do what He says. And this is really the heart of what this passage is talking about. Don't just be a hearer of God's Word, but be a doer, James says. And so we shouldn't come and listen to God's Word and, and constantly think, gosh, I wish, I wish my husband could have heard that sermon, right? <laughs> or, or I wish, my, I wish my, um, my dad could have heard that or my, my kid could have heard that. We, we do that often. We should be asking, okay, wh- what do I need to hear? What, what do I need to, to change? Say, Satan loves to whisper to us while we're listening to God's Word and, and say, look, these, this is good stuff, but you know what? You can, you can change tomorrow. But then tomorrow never comes. The reality is, though, that there's great joy in obedience because we've, we've got a clear conscience. I mean, you know what it feels like when you're walking with the Lord and you're being as obedient as you possibly can. There's joy there. And, and worship is sweeter, isn't it? Remember our call to worship this morning from Psalm 119. David said, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules. See, the heart of this passage, in fact, verses 48 and verses 49, the whole reason that they're there is to give you good reason not only to listen to the word, but to to do it. Go back to verse 47. Let's look at this again. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, it will show, I will show you what. He is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. We've lived out this verse in this building, haven't we? <laughs> Think about it. Over the last couple of years, we had serious foundation issues here. We had, we had a, and we didn't even know about it when we bought the building, but the plumbers come in, they dig this ditch, and this huge hole falls in and goes underneath the foundation of the building. We had a we had to put four, they call them push piers, all the way 50 feet down to the bedrock to secure the foundation. And then, of course, we had a flood. And thank God that we dealt with the foundation before the flood came, though, right? I mean, I, I don't know how big that hole would have got after the flood. I mean, we could have been like the Corvette Museum. Who knows? <laughs> but it's a good thing the foundation was dealt with before the flood. That's true. That's what Jesus is trying to get to in our lives here. Now, unfortunately, this text often gets used wrongly, gets taught wrongly, and and people teach this text and say things like, okay, if you obey the Bible, then bad things won't happen to you, or or if you obey the Bible, then when the storms of life come, you'll be able to withstand them. And, you know, it would be really easy for me to preach a very emotional sermon today and, and tell you an emotional story about how the storms of my life with my dad this past week came along, but it was the rock-solid foundation of God's Word that brought me here today. And, and there's truth that God does help us through the storms of life. Don't get me wrong, but this passage is not teaching that. 
The storms, the flood that this passage is talking about, it's something much more serious than the storms of life. It's talking about the future judgment of God. And there's two reasons I believe that. One, if you look at the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus warns of a false path that you can follow that leads to destruction. He warns of false teachers that produce bad fruit that will be thrown into a fire. He warns of false disciples that one day will be told to depart from the presence of the Lord. All of these are warnings of a coming judgment. Not only that, if you look at other passages in Scripture that talk about floods and, and storms, almost always the illustration is pointing to the wrath of God. The judgment of God. Ezekiel 13, 13, for example. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger, and great hailstones and wrath to make a full end. And so it makes sense in this passage that there's a warning. If you've got a false foundation that will not hold up under the judgment of God, we need to feel the weight of this passage. Jesus is not simply warning us about how to avoid a difficult life. He's warning us about how to avoid eternal destruction. And so the question you've got to wrestle with, you've got to wrestle with this question, okay, what is my foundation? Is my foundation built on a rock? Because if you understand foundations, you don't, they're not exposed, they're not above ground. You can't see your foundation. It's hidden. And so you got to figure out, okay, how do I know what my foundation is, is built on? Because it's, it's not evident all the time. We didn't know when we bought this building that it had foundation issues. It was exposed after we dug deep. So this sermon has taught us that we need to dig deep past the outward appearances into, into the heart. And sometimes it's hard to tell. Jesus, In fact, Matthew 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did not, we, did not we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Man, that's a scary passage. But there will be some people Spend their whole life going to church that never knew Christ. In the very next, pass, the very next verse, he goes on, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is saying that it's possible for us to be deceived into thinking that you're saved when you're really not. And listen, Jesus is not trying to make those who are truly saved doubt their salvation. That's not his intent. That's not my intent also. But he, today's text is a real good reminder that, look, if you are going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to call yourself somebody who is a follower of Christ, if you say you love Jesus, then your life ought to show it. It ought to look different than the rest of the world. It, it's through your obedience that you prove that you're a follower of his. It's when you follow his commandments that you show and you prove that you're committed to him, that you truly have trusted in him, that he truly is your Lord. 
And so what commandments is, is he talking about here? I think specifically he's talking about the commandments that he's mentioned in this specific sermon. And so love your enemies. Be merciful. Judge not. Condemn not. Instead, be forgiving. Be generous. Be introspective. Pay attention to your mouth and recognize what, what's in your heart. I want to make this very clear, though. He is not saying that doing these commandments will save you. The Bible makes it very clear that there is nothing that we can do to merit eternal life. We, we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God accepts us and declares us righteous, not because of our own good deeds, but because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We cannot earn God's favor. We are dependent entirely on a gospel of grace. But he is also saying here that obedience is a mark of a true follower, that you've truly trusted in him as your savior. And, and I know some of you, you come in here and you're, you're a perfectionist. Uh, you, you come into here this morning and you, you constantly are frustrated with yourself because you, you know, you want to obey. You want to do what's right. You want to follow him, but it just seems like you just keep messing up. And so you beat yourself up. And you say things like, I, I, know, I know it up here, but it does, just doesn't seem to sink down into, into my heart, and I, I just can't figure out why. Well, let me, if, you're, if, you, if that's you, if you're a perfectionist, let me, uh, let me encourage you with two words. First of all, stop it. I know that's real encouraging, right? <laughs> Seriously, though, instead of looking for perfection, look for progression in your life. Sanctification doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. You, you don't become like Christ in an instant. Secondly, I think it is healthy for all of us, whether you're a perfectionist or not, to wrestle with the question, okay, how do we grow in obedience? How do we become more obedient? What does that look like practically for us? And if you wrestle with this sermon, you start to realize it's not by simply trying harder. It's not by simply focusing on the command. You, get, you can't just grit your teeth and say, okay, I'm going to resolve to be a better person. I'm going to resolve to do what's right. It just doesn't work that way. And that, if that's what you've been trying, you're pro that's probably why you're so frustrated with yourself. It's because you're trying to do it on your own. And Jesus doesn't expect us to do that at all. In fact, in this, in this sermon, what does he do? He gives these commands, but did you notice with almost every single one of the commands, he gives a promise with it. He attaches promises to the commands. You see that throughout Scripture. Once you, once you start seeing it, it's everywhere. All these commands have promises with them. Why is that? It's because if you want to become obedient, if you want to grow in obedience, you don't focus on the command, you focus on the promise. Look back at the, the sermon, verse 35. He says, love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return, and you and what, though? Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Verse 37, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will be given too. Obedience doesn't come from simply trying harder. Obedience comes by knowing and trusting the promises of God. Let me say that again. Obedience doesn't come from focusing on the commandment. It comes from knowing and trusting the promises of God. That's what faith is. That's a, that's a good definition of faith, trusting in the promises of God. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So 
whatever you, you, there is going to be some effort involved in obedience. You're, you're going to have to try. You're going to have to put forth effort. You should work as hard as you possibly can, but not like you're working for men, but like you're working for, for God. And then verse 24, in the same breath, work hard to be obedient, knowing, verse 24, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so there's a, there's a promise attached to the command. And so picture a rocket, all right? The rocket is called obedience, and it's ignited by your faith, but it's fueled by the promises of God. Who do you think of when you think of radical obedience to God? First person that comes to my mind is Abraham. Don't get me wrong, Abraham wasn't perfect. He wasn't obedient all the time, but he did some pretty radical things for God. I mean, God calls him out of nowhere and says, look, I want you to Go and leave everything you know. Leave your family. Leave everything you know and just go. And Abraham's like, okay, I'll go. Where do you want me to go, God? And God's like, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> you just have to wait. I'll tell you later. I mean, can you imagine being in that position? I want you to go, but I'm not going to tell you. And then he, God promises, look, I know you're old as dirt and your wife is old as dirt, but you're going to have a child. You're, you don't have any kids right now, but you're going to have a child. And I want you to trust me with that, which he doesn't, by the way. But I want you to trust me with that. And you know what? That child is going to have more kids, and your family is going to be so large, it's going to outnumber the stars, and your family is going to be a nation that blesses all nations. Trust me in that. Eventually, he says, okay, and we know that because God tests him. After he has this child, this child of promise, Isaac, he says, I want you to go, God says to Abraham, I want you to go up to the mountain, I want you to sacrifice your only son, the son of the promise that I had given you. I want you to sacrifice him. And what does Abraham do? He says, okay. I'll, go, I'll do whatever you want me to do, Lord, because I know and I trust your promise. And I trust that even if I sacrifice my son, you will bring him back to life because you keep your promises. He had radical obedience because he had faith in the promises of God. So how do you grow in obedience? Not by gritting your teeth and trying harder, but by trusting in the promises of God. Now, there's another ingredient that we see in this sermon that helps us to grow in obedience. It's attached to one of the promises, actually. Look back at verse 35 again. Again, love your enemies, do good, lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And what does it say? You will be sons of the Most High. Again, take this passage in the context of the rest of Scripture. Loving your enemies does not save you, but it is a very good sign that the love of God is inside of you, because that's just not natural to love your enemies. It's a good sign that you belong to him. And when you trust in him, you become a child of God. And when you start seeing your identity first and foremost as his child, this is what becomes true of you. Over time, you become more and more dependent on your heavenly father. Not just for salvation, but for sanctification. As his child, you look to him. You look to your heavenly Father to help you grow in, in love and in, in mercy and in obedience. First uh, Peter 4, 10 and 11. Uh, Peter wrote this. He says, as each has received a gift. He's talking to the church. He says, as each of you has received a gift, a spiritual gift he's talking about, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so he's saying, be obedient. Here's the command. You are to use God's gifts that he has given you. All right, you are, you are to serve the church. You're to, to obey that command. 
and gives examples. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. And listen to this. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, when we learn to live in our new identity, when we learn to live as a child of God, we learn to fully rely on him for our own obedience. Who gets the glory? He does. If we just try to grit our teeth and, and try really hard, and maybe we are successful for a season in being obedient, who's going to get the glory? Not God, us. And so we need to learn to fully live as children of God. You, you want a life that has got an unshakable foundation. You need to trust in the promises of God. And secondly, you need to live as a child of God, relying fully on His strength to be able to serve others and to be obedient to Him. That doesn't come naturally. And so we're going to pray that God would help us with that right now. Bow your heads with me. Father, we know that obedience does not come easy. And we recognize that often we, we approach your word and we, we do it flippantly. We, we do it just to check it off a list and feel good about ourselves. And, and I pray that you would change our hearts, that we would approach your word not as a textbook or a, a manual for how to live life, but we would we would approach your word as we are listening to your very words and that they would be transformative, that we would look for the promises that you give us attached to the commandments that you give us and we would trust in them fully relying on you to help us become more like you. Send your spirit to help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.